Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Good morning. It's so good to see everybody here. Um, I know many of you, but for those of you who don't know me, my name's Joe. I'm the missions pastor here. I've, I've been at Rosemont for going on two years now, uh, and we love it here. I enjoy serving here at the church. The video you just saw uh, was is a partner of ours in Central Asia. She was here a couple years ago. Uh, Rosemont has sent out one team uh, with all the restrictions and all the no flying and those things, but we have sent out one team at the very beginning of the year uh, back in early March, and that team was able to go uh, do work, do missions work with uh, the missionaries there, uh, minister not only to the people, but to the missionaries that are in a very difficult place, and just love on them and care for them as well. Uh, we continue to pray for them. Our partner is an IMB missionary, so the Lottie Moon gift is going to help her, help her team. And, and just like the speaker said last week, we, uh, we ask that you would, you would pray. You pray for missionaries. You pray about giving to Lottie Moon, that you would give. Um, and there are many ways to give. And then that you would go. And, and our speaker last week, Rebecca, shared a very convicting point. And it really stuck with me throughout this week, the challenge that we would raise up a new generation that would be prepared to go if God would call them. And so uh, let that be our prayer as well, that Rosemont would be one of the places where we would have the next generation be ready to go out. So here, and we mentioned it in the announcement videos, uh, there's an opportunity this month. It's called Fostering Hope. Fostering Hope is an activity, an opportunity last year that we did where we uh, gathered toys and, and we had families come in and we allowed them to, to get those toys and, and have Christmas. But more importantly, what we did was we shared the gospel with those families. And we had volunteers doing that work. We had volunteers doing all sorts of different things. And so if you're interested in participating in that, again, I'd ask you to pray about the opportunity, pray about uh, fostering hope, and that God would be glorified in it first and foremost. Uh, if you want to give to Fostering Hope, either um, by donating money or gifts or your time, uh, there are people at the desk, uh, right out here at the Connect desk, or at the desk below as you go into the fellowship hall, uh, that can help you with more information or give out those packets. And then finally, that you would go, that you would serve if you feel led to after your prayer and consideration that you would go and you'd serve. There's more to do than just uh, wrap gifts. Um, you put out gifts, share your testimony, share the gospel, uh, help people get to their car, etc. So there's tons to do that day. And so I would just ask that this church would rally around that event again, just like they did last year. Uh, so today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and, and I just want to say that I, I've had the pleasure of getting to go through this book with uh, a group of brothers here at the church, and, and we meet regularly, and, and we've gone through this first letter of Paul, and, and it has been a blessing to me. And I say all this because that 
we, we meet in a small group, and, and we say it in the announcements every week, but if you're not in a small group right now, you're missing out. God has designed the church in such a specific and unique way, and if you're not in a small group, you're missing out on that com- just that whole design. And so I encourage you, Jeremy Phillips has done a great job, our pastor of a, adult discipleship, that you, uh, you seek him out and that you, he'll get you plugged in. He's done a great job with it, and if you're interested in that, those resources are available. So let me pray, and, and we'll go ahead and jump into the text. Father, I, I thank you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your goodness, your love, your justice, just your perfection. And we adore you, uh, and, and we praise you. And I pray that our worship today, that our song, our thoughts, our prayers have all been a pleasing aroma to you, that, that we have tried to glorify you in, in the way we can here on earth. And, and God, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for your son, Jesus. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. So we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 is where we're going to start. But before we jump in, a little bit of background on it. Paul goes to, does many missionary journeys. He goes to Athens, preaches the gospel, gets made fun of for preaching the resurrection by the wise, elite scholars in Athens. He leaves there, moves on to a city called Corinth. And there he ends up having a little more success, and he ends up planning a church and staying there for a year and a half. And then he writes a letter back after some time to that church that was planted there and those believers. And that's what we have today, and that's what we're about to read. Generally speaking, the, the first part of this letter, the theme is that Christ is supreme over all divisions in the church, whether they're socially, ethnically, whatever they might look like. Christ is supreme in all of those, and we're all unified in Christ. Is the first general theme. Now, specifically, in a couple verses preceding the ones we'll be in, there, there's two profound things Paul says that I want us to hold on to as we go into the rest of the text. The first is verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word folly here in Greek, it's moria. It's where we get the word moronic from. So if we read that again, Paul says the word of the cross, the cross is moronic to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. To those who are not Christians, those who do not believe in the gospel, The whole idea of our faith, of our religion, is silly. That's the first point I want to make sure that we we hold on to as we continue through the text. The second is verse 23. Really emphasize it. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. There's a word again, folly. So we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. The Jews that heard the message of the cross, of the crucifixion, could not believe it. A Messiah that could be killed by foreigners, nonetheless, in the promised land, not the Messiah that they were promised. And to Greeks, to Gentiles, some man-god, some demigod that could be killed was not worth worshiping. And this idea of a resurrection, foolish, silly. Again, can't get down with it, not going to believe it. So Paul's set the stage for what they're up against, what the believers are up against in the environment and really the same world that we live in today. So starting now, verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world 
to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. So let's stop there. There's, there's tons here in these first few verses. Now let's unpack it. So here we go. First thing, first point of the day too, Paul asked the readers to consider your calling, brothers. And I ask you to do the same. What does he mean by this? It's kind of twofold here. One, remember your calling. Remember that you were spiritually dead, just like it says in Ephesians 2. You were spiritually dead and God woke you up. You didn't wake yourself up, and Paul is reminding him of that. You were spiritually dead, and God chose you and woke you up. And then he says, consider your calling, brothers. So first off, you were called. Remember that. Remember that time in your life, whenever it was, whether you were a child, whether you were an adult, or you had grandkids. It doesn't matter when you were called, the fact that you were called. So consider your calling, brothers, and I think about this, we, my boys right now are in the new Christians class, and one of the first things they do, the first exercises they do in the first week is they record and they share their testimony. They practice sharing that. And, and that's what Paul's asking them to do is remember your testimony. Remember how God has now transformed your life. And, and it's the, we can do the same thing today. What a powerful exercise that would be for us to really stop and think about how has God transformed my life? What did my life look like before he called me when I was spiritually dead? And where am I today? Is it different? Does my life look any different? Or is it the same? Or have I been radically transformed and my life looks nothing like it did eight years ago, 10 years ago, whatever. So Paul asked them to first and foremost do that. Remember that you were called and remember the life-transforming call that was, irresistible call that was. And Paul goes on to say, kind of thinking like Baptists, that these charter members, right, this roll call, it wasn't an impressive, impressive bunch. Pretty, pretty low on the pecking order for their society. It wasn't the cream of the crop. And, and Paul says that very explicitly by worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful, noble, strong, but God in his infinite wisdom chose what is foolish, chose the things that the world would not to accomplish what he wants. And why does he do this? It says later on, clear as day, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Similar to us today, we've heard this before, Ephesians 2 again, it's in there, Paul wrote it to them too, so that we wouldn't boast of our works, that we would just boast in the Lord. And so, moving on down, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So let's stop here. These four things, we could, we could do a whole sermon series just on these four ideas, these four tenets of who Christ is. We're going to go through them really quickly. The first is, Jesus Christ, who became to us wisdom from God. What did Paul mean there? How is Jesus Christ wisdom from God? So thankfully, unfortunately, I've been able to go all around the world and seen a lot of cool places through missions, through the lens of missions, been Latin America and Africa and Asia and other places. And it's really interesting when, when you go to these places, no matter what religion they practice, they're all kind of, when you boil them down, doing the same kind of stuff. 
They're doing really good works, right? They're really trying to do good works. They're, they're trying to give alms to the poor. They do pilgrimages. They spend a lot of time in prayer or meditation wanting to receive higher revelation, to get on a higher reality, whatever they want to call it. But all of them are kind of doing the same thing. And that's the wisdom of man. That's, that's a religion of man. That's how we think we get to heaven. That's how we think we commune with this supreme God, this supreme being. But that's not how God has made it for us. He's made it. Those wisdom from God is Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the way in which we get to commune with God. It's the way that he has made for us. It's like we've been studying all the I am speeches. I am the way, the truth, and Jesus is that way. And so God didn't want it to be an obvious choice. That way we wouldn't boast about it. And so as we go into this Christmas season, we're about to celebrate the first step, this, this very humble birth in Bethlehem, in a manger. Again, not the expected way, not the way we think it should have been done. But thankfully, the wisdom of God supersedes all of that. And he made a way for us. So first off, Jesus Christ is the wisdom from God. He is God's specific plan for our salvation. Next thing, Jesus is righteousness. He is our righteousness. Obviously, we were sinners. We needed an external source of righteousness to cover us. We know this. We've heard this, that we're all sinners and we're removed from God. We can't be in his presence, a holy God. And so we needed an external source of righteousness to cover us, to make us even bearable for God. And Jesus is, through his life, death, and resurrection, is that righteousness. And then when you profess your faith in Jesus, you, he'll come. He'll walk with you. And your life, like we've already talked about, consider your calling, is transformed. You're changed. You should be changed when you hear that incredible call. And he begins to move your life from a life of sin. And he transforms it closer and closer, more and more. Some of us, great change. Some of us, little by little, day by day, it's a struggle. But he moves us closer into a holy lifestyle. Jesus' sanctification. And finally, he restores us and he redeems us. So there's four ideas right there of who Jesus is. Jesus is God's specific and unique plan of salvation, one that man would not have thought of. He is our righteousness, an external source. He helps us closer and closer live a holy lifestyle in sanctification, and he, he restores us, and he redeems us. So what should we do with all that? What do we do with all this awesome call, and we're considering it, and we know we have this blessing and this privilege? Point number two, verse 31, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Galatians six fourteen. Paul says the same thing to the churches in Galatia. That if he would boast, it would be only of the Lord. Are we willing to boast in the things of the Lord? Are we willing to say that our highest, proudest thing about our life, more so than anything else, is our faith in the cross crucified? That's what Paul's asking him. Let the one who is going to say that they're proud be most proud of the things of the Lord. And Paul challenges us, and that that. That challenge is still here today. We, we're closing out the Thanksgiving season. We're moving into Christmas. We're around many family members, many loved ones, some of whom the Bible would say is perishing. Those people do not believe in the gospel. They do not, they do not love the Lord. They think that Christianity is silly, antiquated, outdated, exclusive, not inclusive. 
all these different things. And the gospel, the Christ crucified is offensive to them. But would we be willing to boast in the Lord to them? Or would we go the other way? And, and we hear this time and time again, like, yeah, we, we'd step up. But we have an opportunity to step up. And we've had opportunities to step up. And so it's a challenge that Paul gives to the readers of his day. And we still read today that let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And that should be our highest, most proudest thing about ourselves is our faith. Our faith and that God called you. He continues on down. We jump into chapter 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And in my speech, my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power. So we we'll stop there. So, so Paul, he leaves Athens and he gets to Corinth and he's reminding them that he was not in a good place. He was struggling. We don't know why. Maybe he was, he was messed up from his experience, his rejection, more or less in Athens. We're not really sure, but he was struggling. And we know that Paul even admits that he didn't come with this incredible gospel presentation. He didn't come with all the apologetics and rhetoric that would have been praised and heaped up in that day. He didn't do any of that. Instead, he decides to use a different strategy. It says very clearly in verse 2, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Paul decided what would be best is I'm going to just preach the gospel. I'm just going to share who Jesus was and that he was crucified and resurrected. And if you guys believe that, great. And if you didn't and you rejected it, then you weren't called. And so Paul decided that that was going to be the best way because in weakness and in fear and much trembling, his speech and his message were not in plausible words. It's all Paul could do but just to share the gospel. He didn't have anything else to share. And I think about couple different examples. Uh, you know, my family and I uh, were sent out from this church, supported by this church for a couple years. And, and you get to go, and where we were, uh, people had heard of God, and there were Christians there, and you get to go and do house visits. And, and so you spend, uh, you know, 30, 40 minutes just doing introductions. And then you might end up spending several hours at this person's house. And then finally, you kind of get down to business. Why are you really here? What do you want to share? And it's funny, all of a sudden, when you hit that point, you've had all this time to think about, you know, how am I going to get this guy? Is it Romans Road or, you know, three circles or, you know, how do I want to share the gospel? And then all of a sudden, you realize that you, you forget what your words are. You forget, you know, any plausible words. You're nervous, and all you can say is the gospel. All you can say is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all the words that you seem to be able to muster up. And praise God that through all those grammatical errors and everything, these people respond to that call. And you realize that it can only be a demonstration of spirit and of power because it wasn't this fantastic gospel presentation. It wasn't because you had mastery of their language or anything like that. It wasn't because you showed them this cool evangelicube or anything where you had this great apologetics argument for them. It was only because God allowed it. And through a demonstration of that spirit and power, he allowed them to receive that irresistible call of his salvation, his wisdom. And so to take it a step further, 
Just like our partner in Central Asia, many missionaries around the world go to places where they've never heard of Jesus, never heard of the gospel, never heard of the Bible, and they sit and do a very similar thing. But maybe their presentation would sound a little different, and it might sound like this. They might say something along the lines of, there's one God, one supreme being, and this God, he, he created everything you see around you. He preserves it. He maintains it. And in the beginning, it was perfect and it was good. And God created humanity, us. And he put us in this perfect place to live in perfect harmony and unity with him. But for whatever reason, humanity decided that they didn't want that. They rejected it and they thought that they had a better way. And so they left that place. And God forced them to leave whenever they decided to sin against him, to do wrong and do against his will. So those descendants are us today, and we still do the same thing that they did back then. So God, in his perfect wisdom, his perfect plan, decided that he was going to take this little clan of people 2,000, 3,000 miles away from here that you've never heard of, and he grew them over time, over years, into a great nation. And one day he decided he would come down to those people. He would be born to a virgin, nonetheless, if that makes sense. And then he would grow, become a man. He would live a perfect life. He would die and then rise again three days later. And, and if you want to believe this, you can be restored and redeemed to this God. That's what our missionaries share. How folly does that sound how crazy does that story sound when you really step out of it but to those who are not perishing those who have been called it is the power of God praise God for that story praise God for his perfect wisdom and salvation and so when we think about that verse 5 so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God it is only the power of God you are only our salvation is only the work of God and not of man. You are only a Christian because of the work of God. It's not because you heard this incredible evangelistic presentation 30 years ago in a revival and decided to come down. That's not what sustains you. That might have been how you heard the call, but that's not what sustains you and why you are a Christian. It's not because of Adam. You can't, you can't depend on those things. He's just the mouthpiece for God. And so Paul wants them to remember of why they are Christians, why they are followers, and that it is only the work of the Spirit, only in the power of God, that they can believe in the wisdom of God. And so this holiday season, like I said, we're ramping up now for Christmas. Is there never more a time to be around loved ones to really boast in the Lord? especially this year. We, we've heard it a lot. We've talked about it a lot. But is there ever more of a time to boast in what God has done in your life up until this point from your calling, from your transformation, what God continues to do even in a year such as this? That God is still supreme, that God is still good, that he is still working, and that you are still willing to boast about God even amidst all that's going on right now. And I pray that that, that is what the, that this church will continue to do. I pray that this church will continue, no matter how offensive, will continue to preach Christ crucified. And I pray that this church and its members will continue to boast in the Lord. 
So Paul challenges the, the Corinthian believers, and, and we likewise, the, the challenge still echoes throughout generations. So I'm, I'm going to pray for us, and the worship team is going to come back up. And, and as we continue to worship and praise God, I ask that, you know, the, it's still closed up here, unfortunately. But if you want to receive prayer, if you want to receive direct prayer from other members, if you would just stand up as well. Uh, that's how we're doing invitation right now. So if you'd stand up to let other members share in your burden, uh, we'll continue to pray for you too. Let me pray. Father, we, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you that it was your good wisdom, your good plan to save us in the way that you did. And we thank you for that perfect call, that irresistible call. And, and we cherish it and, and we reflect on it. God, we, we ask that you continue to strengthen this church, that, that we would be bold, especially in this coming season, to share who you are and to be proud of that and to share our faith with those around us. And God, we know that we're only speaking your name right now. It's only because of the power of the Spirit, and we can only do this because of you. And God, we thank you for that, and we praise you for that. We pray all this in your Son's name. Amen.
thank you. Thank you for today. We thank you for we thank you for your word and, and your wisdom and, and the gospel in Jesus. Help us to go out into the world and be a bold witness of who you are and the transformation that's occurred in us. Help us to remember that we were called and help us to remember that it was only through your power. We thank you for all of that. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. So please stay seated. They'll, uh, they'll come down each aisle and let you guys be dismissed. Thank you.